Today's podcast is sponsored by MPB, the online pricing engine that provides the right price for any camera or lens. Get free kit pickup and get paid within days, all without leaving your home. How much could you get? Find out with a free instant quote at www.mpb.com forward slash sell. Hello. How are you doing? Welcome along to the AV Forums podcast. We're back yet again, and we are live. Uh, feels like a little while since we were last live. We've had a pre-recorded, and we've missed for bank holidays and so on. But we uh, we're now in the the end stretch of the year, believe it or not. We're uh, we're motoring fast towards CES, which is months mm. away. Um, how quickly the year's gone by, but welcome along. If you're watching us live on YouTube, uh, good evening. The chat window is open. If you've got anything you want to uh, tell us about, then do that. Hit the uh, chat window. Let us know what your questions are this evening. If you're listening a little bit later on, uh, either through a podcast provider or Spotify or whatever, uh, then hello to you. And uh, thank you very much for downloading and listening to the podcast. It is appreciated. Um, do give us your feedback as well. So if you've got questions or anything like that, head to AV Forums, head to the podcast forums, down the bottom of the forum list. Go in there, find this podcast. You'll find it by date and uh, leave your comments and feedback and so on in there. If uh, for any reason your podcast provider has stopped providing you with the AV Forums podcast for any reason whatsoever, um, let us know about that as well. Let us know who the provider is and so on. Um, we like to keep uh, you know everything in order. So uh, I've heard now and again that things do drop out. So if it has dropped out for you, let us know. We'll uh, we'll chase that up and make sure that yeah, we are on all the providers out there. So joining me tonight are regulars, Ed Selly, Ian Cullen and Julian Scott. Good evening, guys. Hello, Good evening. Good evening. And we've got a lot to get through, uh, like I say, first live that we've done for a little while. Um, so uh, I was supposed to go to Berlin. I think I told you about this on the last podcast, but my flights were cancelled because of the uh, bad weather at that point. Um, so I didn't get down to Heathrow, and because I couldn't get to Heathrow, I then couldn't get a flight to Berlin. So I missed out on Panasonic's unveiling um, of their full range of TVs, but I am getting to see them on a day this week. I'm going down to Bracknell, and, and I'm going to get hands-on with them on my own. Uh, spend some time, send some time with engineers and find out a little bit more about them. So we're going to cover them tonight, uh, but probably in the next podcast, I'll be able to give you even more insight. And uh, after speaking to the engineers and so on, maybe give you a little bit, few tips and what's coming up and, and so on. Uh, what I can tell you tonight is all about the Samsung S95C QD OLED. Uh, I've had that for a while now. You can see it sitting uh, behind me there. That's the S. Uh, 95B and the S95C is there. Uh, so I've been doing some comparison stuff today. Uh, the review is going out soon, so we'll give you a preview of the review. My findings so far uh, with that TV, it's one of the hotly anticipated TVs of the year, and it is a cracker, so we'll tell you about that a little bit later on. Ed's going to be previewing a product as well. It's a streaming DAC, but from whom? You shall find out a little bit later on. Uh, Jules is going to tell us all about uh, some training that he's been doing uh, recently and uh, we'll have a little bit of a catch up on that. And Ian, of course, is here for all the news, whether it's AV or Hi-Fi. Uh, Ian's going to be telling us a little bit about that. And like I say, the chat window is open if you're watching live or a little bit later on. You can also send your emails to podcast at avforums.com if you're not watching us live. Right. I think that's all the housekeeping done at the start. Um, so feedback from the last podcast. So we had the uh, the interview with Spears and Mansell. So Stacey Spears, Don Mansell came along onto the podcast. Uh, thank you again, guys, for that. And uh, that was great. And the feedback's been really good uh, as well. So um, 
had quite a bit of feedback. Elliot Cole on YouTube said I'd be interested in a novice calibration course. Well, stay tuned. We are trying to put all that together uh, for something to happen this year. Uh, we'll be running a professional training, but we're also looking at uh, doing an enthusiast's uh, kind of course. So uh, keep uh, your eyes on that. And again, uh, Pulse One Ponders, uh, would a course be like this held um, to make it easy for anyone in the UK to get to? Well, you might be surprised at the location. Let's just say it's not London. It's probably not going to be London. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. But um, it is uh, central UK. So we'll leave it round about that or central-ish UK. Um, and uh, he also goes on to suggest a series of videos uh, going into calibration and so on. You may have missed Picture Perfect. Picture Perfect has been around for a while. Go check that out on AV forums. Um, and yes, uh, some of the things on there, um, like SDR calibration and so on, it's really quite intense stuff. And I, I don't think it translates very well to video. If you want to go and see videos like that, uh, you could go to Portrait Display's YouTube channel. Um, they have gone into uh, various things like Dolby Vision, HDR calibration and so on and, and explained the, the basics in video form. Um, so go, you could go and watch those videos. And obviously, um, we speak to the guys at Portrait on a regular basis. They are a big supporter of AV forums um, and they uh, produce Calman software, which uh, I use and I know Jules uses it as an industry standard, really. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, go and look at those uh, videos, Pulse One. Uh, David AC asks, uh, with the current disc uh, and for any future disc set, is 10-bit colour uh, the limit? Will 12-bit or more be a thing in the future? It may be a thing. Um, once again, when, when these things are being put together, they're always looking to the future. I mean, uh, Rec 2020, BT 2020, um, not many displays can hit that, but the standards have been around for nearly 10 years now. So um, these things are future-proof, they, they do think forward. So you never know at one point um, that may be a thing. That's maybe something to bounce back uh, to Stacey. Uh, and then uh, there was a question for Martin, but unfortunately Martin's not around. Um, so your question, Jeff in 171, we'll ask uh, that to Martin when he's on the next podcast. I believe it's about yeah, repair to a parasound amplifier, so we'll ask him about that. Uh, right, so we're all caught up on the feedback. Thanks again, guys, for your feedback. Um, if you are listening and there are things that you want us to know about or you want to ask questions and so on, then again, uh, find us in the podcast forum uh, or on YouTube. Go down to the uh, uh, the comment section, add your comments in there, and uh, we will certainly come back to them on the next podcast. Right, what have we been up to since the last podcast? Ian, have you managed to get out the house? I have, I have got out a few times, yeah. Obviously, the, the sun came out for a little bit, so I decided to make the most of it. But the downside is when you spend as much time indoors playing video games as I do, you tend to have to budget your time outside or I just come back <laughs> looking like a walking dead extra. It's not a, not a, not a good look. Um, but yeah, obviously, I live quite close to the beach, so I've been down there a few times. Um, but then, yeah, I've been doubling up with, some, with a reasonable amount of uh, video gaming as well to kind of keep the, the town levels to a minimum rather than being cooked alive. Um, so, yeah, I, I've actually been outdoors, which is a, a rare treat indeed. Yeah. So you go lobster red then, do you? Uh, kind of like that. It's more like walked into the first layer of the and just instantly cut. Yeah, it's, it's it's not a healthy look. Yeah. You see, I go from light blue to blue. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't get any colour whatsoever. You're an uh, avatar. Jules, yeah. Jules, what have you been up to? Well, um, obviously a week in Amsterdam, which we'll talk about later, which was very nice. Um, just work, really. I mean, hardly any time to do anything else. But um, I had the pleasure of doing a G3 calibration um, for uh, 
uh, EV Forums podcast watcher called Matt uh, on Friday, which was uh, which was really good. Fantastic tally, fantastic. Size? Uh, that was a sixty-five. Sixty-five. Yeah. Sixty-five. Yeah, but it was amazing, brilliant. Mm. Yeah, um, it is a fantastic TV. And otherwise, like you know, Ian just said, you're trying to avoid the sun, you know. So um, it helps having a nice air-conditioned cinema to be able to retreat to. All right, um, stop showing off. Yeah, yeah. You need to get you sorted, Phil. Well, it's the reason why I haven't got the TVs turned on at the minute because I'd have been yeah. cooking in front Too of those two. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, no, well, um, this this place is not going to be around forever, so uh, I won't be going to that expense just yet. I'll open the door. I'll open the window. Ed, what have you been up to? Well, um, I went to see Peter Gabriel, oh. uh, who oh, I wanted to see for some time. Uh, and I have to say, if I'm that active at 73, I'll be very, very happy. No, it was excellent. Uh, it was slow starting. Um, and obviously when you've got a back catalogue like that, I mean, from his four first out, the four, um, albums he released first, there were two songs in total. Uh, and you know, that's marginally disappointing, but equally, I feel that I have a better handle on the material that's going to form this new album. Uh, some of it I've seen a much more positive light than was the case previously. So that was good. Um, I've also, I've ventured out into the sun. I'm relatively fortunate. I'm not like Ian. Um, I, I, I tend, you know, with a little bit of care and attention, I tend to, to, um, to turn reasonably well, but it's just so hot, just so damnably hot. And then the problem is you think, do you know what, do you know what would take the edge off this heat? A nice pint. And then the problem with that, of course, is that there's no such thing as a nice pint. Yeah. I mean, one is objectively the worst number of beers that you can consume. It's, It's worse than zero. So, uh, yeah, you know, obviously, periodically, one thing leads to another. Um, but no, uh, that's been good. Uh, I also have been working. It's been carnage for samples. Uh, I will say, um, I, I, if I wanted to put a positive spin on this, two particular products that were earmarked for review for June, they're going to be going to be late. I mean, I know I'm always late. But um, the manufacturers have perfectly reasonably been making sure that customers get the ones that they've paid for. So over and above uh, building a sample for journos to prod, that's been the priority for a number of these companies. So that's what's been going on there. There are, will be some interesting things. I'll be talking about some, one of those things later on in the, in the podcast. And then otherwise, um, I've just been dealing with my son being a bit ill today, but um, he seems to be on the mend. Uh, you may or may not be able to hear him yelling uh, over in, in the background of my microphone from time to time. So I don't think he's that unwell at this point. So he can go off to school tomorrow. So yeah, all good. Did you catch up with any uh, Glastonbury? Do you know what? I haven't turned television on this weekend. Really? Uh, okay. Uh, one of it's because I went out into the sun and then went out into the pub. Um, and the other thing is the product that I'll be talking about later uh, has um, sort of not so was there a, Was there anybody that you were, you were looking forward to seeing? Um, look, I, as I understand it, I mean, there's people surprised that Elton John was good. Elton John <laughs> is astonishing he is one of the great live acts of of the last 40 years he hasn't it's incredibly rare that anyone says oh i went to an elton john gig and he didn't put anything else than 100 percent in and then people also surprised that axel rose is both enormous and oh, a bit random sounding uh, that's awful. not news that's how axel rose has been for some time I, now. billy idol as well he was so out of tune it was it was sad to watch unfortunately well i mean as I say, that's unusual because normally he's yeah. Yeah, good. normally, but oh no, he was awful. There was a, there was quite a few awful um, moments when I when I did get a chance to have a look. And I've got to say, the BBC coverage, if if anybody wants to check it out, uh, congratulations to the BBC. It's absolutely fantastic coverage. You can mm. watch anything you wanted to watch on any stage, 
really good quality audio. Uh, absolutely brilliant as well. So well done. And HLG. Um, not on what I was watching because I was watching it in the bungalow, not in here. So the uh, internet's not not that well, great I, for you. I, I didn't see it myself, but I heard a lot of comments. But the HLG looked really good. Right. Oh, yeah. So I'll have to check it out because I, I am testing HLG on these Samsungs, and we'll come back to why in a little bit. Um, so uh, live music. I, I did some live music as as well, Ed. Um, in between the mayhem that is TV review season, and it just never seems to stop. Another two TVs turned up today, and I've got two behind me. I've got one on the floor. I've got another two in the living room selling boxes and then two more turned up. So lots of TVs coming, but um, yeah, I managed to get away for a weekend. It's been booked in for a long time, actually. Um, Proclaimers uh, did four dates in a tent, a big circus uh, marquee uh, tent. Uh, it was the latest album, plus all the greatest hits, and they were playing Leith Links. And as soon as I saw they were playing Leith Links, which is obviously their home stomping ground, um, uh, I had to I had to go and see them there. Um, so I sat... Well, probably about 12 months ago now, maybe even longer than that, uh, just constantly hitting refresh until uh, I miraculously got offered two tickets uh, on Ticketmaster. So I have them. So we went for a whole weekend um, and it was great. Absolutely fantastic. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. We walked around the old town in Edinburgh, Princess Street, all the normal touristy things, did the museums. Um, yeah, we did everything, found some great places uh, to eat. Um, so I had a really good weekend and the proclaimers were absolutely amazing. Really, really good. And, uh, we also did the hospitality at Easter road, Jules, um, yep. old stomping ground there. It's changed a little bit since I left <laughs> our game. Um, I was just saying before we came on, uh, I used to go and stand in the cow shed, which no longer exists. It's all a big modern stadium, stadium these days, but the hospitality was excellent. So yeah, did all that. Um, and still managed to lose one stone, three pounds so far. Amazing. Uh, so that's since May. I'm also now class myself as a runner. Yeah. I mean, I never thought I would ever class myself as, but I've done eight park runs now. Um, my goal was to try and get down to 35 minutes for a 5K, 5K being 3.1 miles. Um, and I gave myself the Q4 this year. I, I've already smashed that. Uh, that's now a regular time for me. Even on a hot Saturday like last Saturday, I did 36 minutes. So very, very happy with that. Uh, yeah, really impressive results, Phil. Thank Just you. watching every day when you're posting them, I'm seeing up, oh, babe, he's out again. He's out again. Yeah, Smashing early morning, it. 6 a.m. out the door. Best time of the day to, uh -huh. this time of the year anyway, best time of the day to get out and get running. And uh, I wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't for my partner in crime, who's, uh, you know, she's done the London Marathon and all sorts. So wow. she's been encouraging me to, to get out there. And, and we do run, walk, run, run. So it's not running all the time. You know, you run for 90 seconds, you walk for 30 seconds, you run for 90. And actually, you cover the distance really, really quickly, and you don't get fatigued as much. Um, it's a really uh, cracking little way of doing things. But yeah, I mean, the T-shirts are just hanging off me. I'm going to have to go and buy a new wardrobe. It's, uh, it's been really good that way. And um, I got to a year with the Puma Ed, Puma ST that I had. Yeah, well, I mean, I, was, I knew that the, the, it, it was inevitable what, ha what has happened. Um... I, I, went, I went back to a Mustang. So uh, it was a year in uh, with a Puma. I was sick and tired of it. Michelle didn't want to drive it. Um, we we just didn't like it. We just didn't bond with the car. And then all of a sudden, this car popped up for sale. And I just thought, you know what? It's an older model, so it's not nothing ex super expensive or anything like that. It was a, it's an older model. It's a Shelby. It's a genuine Shelby. It was built in Vegas. Um, so it starts as a Mustang GT. It gets shipped to Vegas. Shelby then put all the bits and pieces on, retune the engine and so on. So it's a 2007 it's done 70,000 miles. Um, 
it doesn't have any of the luxuries on it. It doesn't try and drive. It doesn't have automatic braking or anything. It's got air conditioning because it's an American car. Well, because it's sold in Las Vegas, and if yeah. you didn't, uh, no one, no one would buy it. <laughs> and it's got so. cruise control, and it's left-hand drive. So, and it weighs a ton, and it's it's pretty quick if you dab the accelerator. So it's been fun learning how to drive left-hand drive in a right-hand drive country and change gear because it's a five-speed short shifting uh, gear as well, and you've got to get it right or it doesn't quite go into gear, and so you've got to learn how to. You you know how old cars are, old muscle cars are. It it's uh, mm-hmm. it's it's a beast, but it's thoroughly. Enjoyable. It's not a sophisticated yeah. device, but no, no, but no it, it no. looks charming and definitely yeah, a slide charmer. And <laughs> and that's half the thing. Uh, uh, modern cars are intrinsically dull. So yep, absolutely. And the other thing is, I'm buying this with a clear conscience because the carbon has been expended. It's been built. It was built 16 years ago. The only thing it's burning now is fuel. Uh, and yeah, it and does, it's not it it's not used. the only car in the household, is it? So no, but it doesn't get used. So it's going to get used for car shows and and occasional weekend jaunts and so. So it's not going to damage the environment either. So I've gone from a clean car and to what I, I think. Yeah, I didn't want to sit in queues either. Have you seen the queues at these uh, chargers these days? Mm. I couldn't believe that last time I was in the filling station. They were queuing round the block to get on the chargers. But anyway, yeah. Go on and bought another Mustang. So there you go. We're all caught up on that. Uh, kind of competition. So what can you lucky people win this evening? Um, who did I pick for this? Was it you, Ed? It was me, yes. Yeah. Tell us so, all uh, right. Current, current competitions that are open to all, you can win uh, £500 to spend with MPB, the buying, selling, and trading platform for used photo and video kit uh, and sponsors of this podcast. That ends Thursday the 29th. That's this Thursday coming at 23.59. So get entering. But if you're listening to this on a Friday, don't get entering. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what you need to do there. There's the Spears and Munsell 2023 Ultra HD Benchmark Disc plus an LX1 Bias Lighting Strip, both courtesy of Scenic Lab. Three bundles to win and open worldwide. So if you're listening to this in Ulan Bator, go for it. Um, I mean, you know, that's 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 up to you. You can win Skeletric models of Knight Rider's kit plus the Back to the Future 3's DeLorean um, for uh, a particularly intriguing uh, slot car race. Uh, and you can win a Humax A1 4K Ultra HD streaming box and three times a Humax Wi-Fi smart plugs bundle. So we've got some decent stuff there. Uh, and there's some exclusive offers for patrons, uh, including ending uh, Tuesday, 27th of June, so tomorrow, um, uh, which is uh, phrased in such a way that suggests it's ending sometime on sort of a star <laughs> date. But Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania for 4K UHD Blu-ray. Uh, you can win uh, Cocaine Bear. Uh, again, that's ending on Thursday, 4K UHD Blu-ray. I bought that as a 4K download. Uh, I'm afraid that is now my test film for the foreseeable future because it's... <laughs> I enjoy it. Uh, there's the Changeling on 4K UHD Blu-ray, uh, Shazam Fury of the Gods on 1080p Blu-ray, uh, and then additionally, a Transformers 6 movie 4K UHD Steelbook collection. I mean, don't threaten me with a good time. Uh, 65 on Blu-ray. I don't know what that is. Uh, and David Lynch's Inland, Inland Empire on Blu-ray. So head on over to avforums.com forward slash competitions to enter, and all of those competitions are eligible to avforums members or patrons resident in the UK, a Apart from the Spears and Munsell competition, where you can be anywhere you like. Yep. You kind of thanks the Spears and Munsell for that as well. It's a cracking prize. Um, mm. 65, I think it's uh, is it Adam Driver. Um, goes oh, off on yeah. space mission, lands back on Earth 65 million uh, years Ah, yeah, ago. that one. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I mean, I've seen no, it. No, I haven't seen it either. But yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, right. So, um, yeah, uh, that is competitions. Uh, parents. So we've got some new parents. Um, Jules, tell us who they are. Yes, we have Mr. Sabvaton. I think I hope I said that correctly. Christopher Powell, Adrian Price and John Macklin. Uh, so, all of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Uh, your support really, really does help us uh, improve this podcast. One day we might do a good one. Um, so, yeah, keep supporting us. Uh, it is appreciated. Thank you very much. And let's get on with the show. Right, so we've got some uh, display news to get through in terms of TV uh, before we get on to uh, the reviews. Um, so, Ian, why don't we talk about uh, the Samsung 83-inch, first of all, because this could be a little bit controversial. Yeah, I mean, this is it's one of those stories that hasn't been officially confirmed by those involved, but it is rapidly becoming one of the industry's worst-kept secrets. But um, obviously, some people might have heard that Samsung have been in talks with LD Display to start using uh, LD Display's OLED panels on the uh, Samsung TVs. Um, Samsung Display does uh, obviously make its own OLED uh, displays, but they tend to focus more on the smaller screen uses because it's not particularly cost-effective to make the larger sizes, which is where uh, LG Display come in. So it could be a bit of a win-win. Samsung gets some decent OLED panels. Uh, LG Display gets to shift a good number of uh, OLED panels in Samsung's directions, with reports suggesting we'll be sending them 2 million panels this year, rising up to 10 million panels by 2026. Um, but as for the 83-inch uh, TV that you talk about, it's been a registered in Korea, 83-inch S90C. Uh, so it's already been the 55, mm. 65, and 77 inches. And this, is, this is where the controversy comes in. in. The year. And yeah, it's been registered um, in Korea, and it's reported that typically turnaround time between a product being registered and it hitting the shelves is about three months. So in theory, at least, uh, it could be around in September. Um but of course, nothing's been confirmed. To, well, not that I've heard recent anyway, because presumably negotiations are still ongoing between Samsung and LG Display to iron out the finer details. But all the pieces do seem to fit. So there could be uh, an S90C 83 inch model in a few months' time. Yeah. Um, the problem is, and the controversy is, that the S90C is a QD OLED in the smaller sizes. So 55, 65, and then I believe there is there a 77 in the. 90 or is the 77 just the 95? I'll have to double check that. But um, they are QD OLEDs. Obviously, if uh, if they're going to have an 83-inch S90C uh, and it's going to use an LG display panel, then it's a WRGB OLED. And Jules, they look very different. Yeah. You know, this is this is very, very intriguing. Conspiracy theorists will, will have fun with this one. Um that that's a turn up for the books, isn't it? Who would ever have thought this? Apparently, you know, Samsung were telling us that LG panels were prone to screen burn. I mean, for years and years they were saying that, and you know, it's yeah. uh, here they are with an LG panel um, in one of their products. Um, so it's amazing. Yeah, it is, and um, it you know you would have thought maybe use a different model number, so it didn't confuse oh. people. And and Samsung do have form for changing panels within ranges. So if you look at the QD TVs, uh, sometimes it, there's two or three different types of panels being used depending on the screen size uh, in the QLED models. So um, there is form for this. And, and again, oh. as, as a consumer, you then have to ask, well, what is it that I'm actually buying here? You know, am I oh. buying the latest model? Am I buying um, something that, it's, you know, something that's been reviewed. Um, am I still getting the same product if I buy a different screen size, or is it using a different panel? Some uh, ranges in the past, like Hisense, they've done things where 
you've had an IPS panel up to 50 inches and then above 50 inches, you've had a VA panel in the same model number of TV. So that can get very confusing. If Samsung are going down this road, you can see why, you know, some people are making uh, quite a song and dance about it. So uh-huh. be interesting yep. to see yeah, if that is the case. Um, it, Samsung stopped making their own uh, QLED panels and LCD panels a, a while ago. They buy in like a lot of companies from elsewhere now. Um, and with OLED, uh, Samsung Display produced QD OLED, but again, they'll need partners to get that up and running. Um, in terms of glass size, they are restricted with what they can do at the minute. Um, obviously, LG are further down the line, so 77 and 83-inch, you know, they can be cut from one piece of glass, and then you get the smaller screen sizes from the remainder of the glass, so there's less wastage. So 77-inch, you get your 42 and your 48-inch off the off-cut uh, when it comes to the mother glass. When you get that. So again... It could be Samsung trying to save money there. It'll be interesting to see how they market it if they do go ahead with this, Ian. Um, will it be marketed as a QD OLED or will it just be OLED? Because if you look at Samsung's marketing, and again, this is where the conspiracy theories will come in. But if you do look at their marketing, they don't mention Quantum Dot OLED. And none of the TVs are actually named QD OLED. They're named OLED. So is this to allow some uh, some leeway here so they can fit different types of OLED panels into TVs? Who knows? We'll uh, we'll find out, I'm sure. Um, and then we mentioned it earlier on. Ian Panasonic revealed their 2023 lineup, which unfortunately I didn't get to see. So maybe briefly go through that, and then we'll pick up on some of the finer points. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, they previously announced the flagship uh, MZ2000 with the micro lens array technology back at CES in January, uh, but they finally got around to running uh, six new more, uh, six additional TVs to its 2023 lineup. Although sadly, the MLA technology on the MZ2000 doesn't filter down. And this the, is the, the, the line line yeah. at yeah. the moment. Uh, with the MZ1500 using the Master OLED Pro panel with heatsink, um, and that's set to be available in the same 55 and 65 inch sizes as last year's model. Uh, also getting upgrades uh, this year, the MZ980, which will come in 42 to 55 inch sizes. It gets an advanced OLED panel, but doesn't quite get the same uh, master status as the uh, TVs above it. Similarly, there's a MZ800 uh, and MZ700 OLED coming in the same sizes with uh, added 65-inch option as well. Uh, Panasonic's also announced the MX950 Mini LED in 55 and 65-inch sizes uh, and the MX800 LED, which comes in 43 to 75-inch variants. variants. Uh, there's a lot more details and the varying differences between all the, the models up on the, the, the website. Um, so, yeah, I mean, things uh, are looking pretty good. I don't know if we're still expecting more to come or whether this is going to be it for, from Panasonic for the year. Absolutely. I unmute myself, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I think this is this will, will be it. So the MZ2000, I have seen that. I've spent some time with that TV. It looks really, really good. Uh, MLA panel, uh, it's using their proprietary heatsink um, uh, architecture. It's probably the best word to describe that. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they differ from LG's G3, which uses an MLA, or they don't call it MLA, but it uses the same panel uh, with heatsink. So it'll be interesting to see what the differences are there, because obviously Panasonic use their uh, HCX Pro AI processor uh, in there. So their processing is uh, slightly different. They've always done just above black or just coming out of black really well, Panasonic. It's one of the areas where... Uh, they do excel, and it's one of the things that Hollywood love about their uh, screens as well. The disappointment is the MZ1500. So just for context, MZ1500 last year was the same as the 2000. Um, so the 1500 and the 2000 were the same panel, same processing, 
The only difference was cosmetics. So the 2000 had the Dolby Atmos speakers, so front firing, uh, sound bar, upward firing, um, height channels, and then side firing uh, surround speakers on the TV chassis. Uh, the 1500 didn't have any of that. It had two downward firing 40 watt speakers and that was it. It was designed for people who had a theater room and just wanted the screen, but wanted the best panel. Unfortunately, it, it seems like that just didn't sell. Um, so although AV Forums members and enthusiasts were calling out for, you know, we don't want to buy a 2000 because it's got things that we don't need and don't want. Um, it looks like jewels at the 1500 just didn't sell. And this is why it looks like Panasonic's gone back on, on what they're doing there. And 2000 will be the flagship with the MLA panel. 1500 doesn't get MLA panel. Still gets a heat sink. Um, and like Ian said, 55, 65 inch screen sizes, but, um, the brightness is going to be a bit of an issue there. And again, if you want the flagship model, you're going to have to buy speakers that you probably don't mm. need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that that's um, that's a bit of a bind that one, isn't it? Um, you fork out for the extra that that you don't need. Doesn't seem a that much of a value proposition. Does that force you somewhere yeah. else, like into the G3? But um, then, but then with the G3, you've got to go and spend a hundred odd quid on a stand. You haven't because, got a stand. Yeah, but a lot of a lot of the retailers will throw one in. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. Yeah. But yeah um, it, you know, each has the, the plus and minus points. I'm a little bit surprised mm -hmm. that Panasonic went this route mm -hmm. because, um, and, and again, it points obviously points to sales. They think they're going to get more sales by putting a sound bar or certainly forward firing speakers on the 1500 and selling it as a slightly lower uh, model in the range. Maybe the, the marketing wasn't great last year. Maybe there was some confusion as to why the 1500 cost so much but didn't have the speakers on it and so on. Maybe... It just wasn't a good sales proposition. So I know a few uh, AV Forums members will be disappointed with that route. But anyway, the 1500 should be a cracking TV. It's still got an OLED EX panel, still using the heatsink. Uh, it just doesn't have MLA technology on it. And then the lower uh, models as well, down the range, uh, like Ian was saying, the, the 980, uh, 42, 48, 55 has been announced so far uh, using a, an advanced OLED panel. Um, so again, that looks like being uh, quite a good TV at that point. And then you've got the 700, which is just below that 42 to 55 inches again, uh, as well as a 65 in that range. I think it's just the 980 we're waiting on confirmation on the larger sizes for that. Uh, the other thing is the 77 is only available on the 2000 is my understanding. Ian, is that correct? Um, so the 2000 gets a 77, 65, 55. The 1500 only gets the... 55, 65, the 980, 48, 42, 48, 55. We're waiting on 65 confirmation. 742 to 65. Um, and then I believe there's one other that's a little bit lower than that. Again, um, I don't know if that was announced or not. Maybe I've just said something I shouldn't have said. <laughs> then you obviously got the LED solutions as well. So I'm going to get hands on with these this week. Um, I'm going down to Bracknell. Uh, they've promised me the TVs to look at. I'm going to shoot a video while I'm there. I should have access to the engineers as well while I'm there. Um, so if you've got questions, get them in uh, quick, sharpish. Um, obviously, I know what I'm going to ask, but uh, you guys might think of something that I haven't thought of. So uh, if there's anything you want to find out, I'll, I am getting time with them this week. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to take any measurements and so on. It's going to be a flying visit, but I will make a video. And uh, we'll be able to go through it all in the next podcast uh, about that one. So, so yeah, that's the news. Um, looks like a, a good, strong lineup again. And Panasonic's um, jewels have always oh, yeah. uh, carried a, a lot of good goodwill um, 
enthusiasts love their TVs. And yeah, I mean, you know, we, we all remember their plasmas um, when they uh, really took over the the um, the mantle from Pioneer back in the yeah. day. Um, they've always produced fantastic televisions, beautiful build quality, very accurate calibration. They have that reputation that's been born out year after yeah. year producing great TVs. Uh, for some strange reason, I didn't see too many of those for calibration last year, and I wonder whether it's because they came out too late in the year. Um, you that know, is but, another problem for them. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. Are, it's, and as with Philips, they tend to be that little bit later in the year, don't yeah. they? For, yeah. So maybe that does have uh, some bearing on on that. But yeah, they're they're cracking TVs, and like Sony, Panasonic have a professional division um, where they've always made professional monitors and so on uh, as well, and and a lot of professional stuff, professional kit gets used in the industry so they have that to fall back on and their tv's always yeah accuracy is always a thing with them um, i mean one question i'd want to ask phil is that you know you know as lg have implemented 3d LUT calibration into their panels um and now i hear tcl are doing the same thing mm. um you know w would they in the future um be doing that on their own uh, panels as well because yeah. i know the grading studios using them as client client monitors would love it yeah, well, I mean, Panasonic were the first to go with, uh, you know, the professional modes, as in uh -huh. it being used in a, in a studio, though, you could go in and set it to hard clip and change where you wanted to set to hard clip if you're working in a professional environment. So uh -huh. uh, they were the first to, to offer that. So I'm sure if it if it's possible, um, you know, to, to do it on the TV, I'm sure they will. But yeah, I'll, I shall ask that question uh -huh. of them. Yeah, but the fifteen hundred, it just the, going back to that, that that just yeah. screams the standard thing. People, you have an enthusiast quotient saying, "Oh, we want this minimalist thing," and then don't and go and buy it. And then, I mean, the, the, there's another example of this because uh, it was in the news that uh, it's highly unlikely that a manual Golf GTI is going to survive past the end of this year, and mm -hmm. people have been up in arms about this. Yeah, but the bargain has revealed that they've sold less than a thousand manuals across Europe this year. Yeah. Um, and what it boils down to, and I don't mean to be rude here, the people who are asking for this, they want it in six years' time used. Mm -hmm. What they don't want to do is buy it new. And there's a cause versus effect here thing where they won't um, be around after that point. So yeah, yeah. I wonder if my video is frozen, actually. Yeah, I might have to you, come back. You've got to say... Uh, thank you to Panasonic for trying that because they did listen. They listened to what people were saying and they thought, well, we'll try this TV. Obviously, it hasn't sold. So, you know, they're a business at the end of the day, uh -huh. not a charity. They have to make money. So they've decided to, that they're, they're going to make it a second tier model. And, and that's fair enough. You know, that's their prerogative to do that. And they'll probably sell more of them because of that. Um, so, yeah. Uh, right. Um, Let's move on swiftly. So, Jules, you've been doing some more calibration training in Amsterdam. Is there anything that's that's popped up this year that's maybe changed how the, the training uh, has been given to people? Has, has there been any? Well, I or? mean, from, from our point of view, from the PVA, we've started to include color space from Light Illusion as part of what we teach. Um, it's a package that I mean, everybody's familiar with, will have heard of Calman, but there is another one out there called uh, called, called Color Space, and um, it's particularly adept at 3D LUT calibration work. So you're likely to be using that in grading studios, um, but it also works with consumer grade uh, TVs as well. So there's um, support for that too. So um, so that that's you know I, I did a little bit on, on that at the last course, um, but obviously there's a limit to what you can cover in a week. Yeah. Uh, if you've got people coming from, well, 
most people come from an AV background. So this this course, we had eight people, eight students. We had two guys, two colorists from Red Bull in Austria, which was very interesting to hear about the kind of work that they're doing with Red Bull. Um, we had um, an AV installer from uh, France. We had an AV reviewer does uh, projector uh, reviews on uh, from France as well. Um, we had a couple of guys from a TV company um, who were... Uh, wanted to uh, know to, to set up the TVs in the factory. You know, how do you calibrate dynamic mode? Uh, uh, what are the questions? Um, yeah, not sure mm. I can give you advice on that. Um, Half-heartedly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like pin the, pin the tail on a donkey, you might as well just blindfold yourself and just throw a dart. Um, yeah. Choose whatever uh, color temperature you want. I think you're um, missing a trick here. You should have l started to hammer out the standards of just how orange a face should be, and and um, you know how you know, how unnatural should a color look for dynamic mode? Should it? You're suggesting you know, a Trump mode. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I I think it's time to bring order to chaos, and you know, I I want a standard of awfulness, and I feel that you should, um, you know, I think you should all get your heads together and make it happen, oh, please. Let's, let's let's like, vivid mode. Yeah, Ed's Ed's. Mode. Uh, no, I can be clear. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't use it. But if you are gonna, if you are gonna have one of these modes on the television, it should be bloody awful. Awful. Yeah, Heroic. Awful bad. mode. That's called sports <laughs> mode, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. normally. Uh, right. Excellent. So, uh, training-wise, we are looking at doing something. So, stay tuned uh -huh. with that as well, because if you guys are interested out there, we uh, we are going to try and put something together, um, even if it's just a day showing you around, because I, I know that lots of people are interested in it. It is one of these um, subjects that can seem very, very daunting to start with, um, and it's it's about getting people in, on the right track. So, yeah, we'll, we'll circle back around on that one. So, before we finish with TVs, uh, as I said, I've got the Samsung S95C, 55-inch QD OLED. Uh, big thank you to Peter Tyson, uh, who are uh, a northern uh, AV uh, retailer. Uh, they have a store in Carlisle, one in Newcastle, uh, another one in Cumbria. Um, they also have a, a huge website where they, uh, they sell all sorts. Um, so they are helping us out this year, and it really is appreciated um, because we like to dip uh, into the market now and again and pick up retail sets, just so we know that uh, when the manufacturer is sending us a set, it is equivalent to what you can go out and buy uh, in a store. Uh, and so far, we haven't found any reasons to doubt um, the stuff that's getting sent through for review is any different from uh, what's been uh, in the stores. Because I had a 55-inch G3 um, from a, the retailer, Peter Tyson, and I had one from uh, LG at 65 inches. And then there was no major issues other than what you would expect to see in terms of you know component drift, uh, which is like, five percent differences I, I'm, not, I'm not concerned about that um you know these are mass-produced products at the end of the day and out of the box they were both very very accurate so so yes thank you very much to peter tyson because they are helping us out a lot this year especially with the flagship tvs so the one behind me uh, came from peter tyson i've had it for a few weeks now uh, we want to make sure that what we're telling you in the reviews is the best possible information now we're not necessarily here to tell you which tv is best we're going to tell you what each TV does, and this is what how we've always done our reviews, which how well they do certain things, how how they could improve in certain other areas, and so on. Um, so you know, getting them together, getting them calibrated is one thing, but out of the box is just as important, I think, these days, Jules, than just 
talking about calibration. Um, and these TVs do get pretty accurate out of the box now. Now, when we say pretty accurate, um, yes, that is if you're solely looking at the TV and measuring the TV, it doesn't uh, take in the surroundings. It doesn't take in the video chain. It doesn't uh -huh. take in anything that you connect up to the TV. So you've got to bear that in mind when we're talking uh -huh. about out-of-the-box settings. It gets you in the ballpark. Um, but there could be something in your system. There could be something in your room which might impact on that performance. Um, so, yeah, I've been spending a lot of time doing a lot of comparison testing. So I've got this, the 95C against last year's 95B. They are completely different TVs in terms of the chassis. So mm -hmm. uh, the 95C is a beautifully built TV, whereas the B is very, very flimsy. Um, it is just a really, really thin panel. Some of them turned out bent uh, when they were delivered. Uh, because of the way they've been packaged, because they're so thin and so on. Uh, luckily, the one that we've got here, and it will be for sale soon if you're interested, um, it's a 65-incher, uh, is very, very good out of the box. But some of them did have a few issues with panels being warped and bent and so on because they were so thin. This year, the 65C, um, it's a little bit thicker um, in terms of the panel. Uh, it has a one connect box. So the B, yeah, you had to connect everything onto the back of the TV. Uh, the C model, the 95C, has a one connect box. It's nice, uh, one inch tall, uh, made of plastic, but you connect all your sources to that and then it's one cable from the box to the TV. And the beauty of that is that you have a perfectly slim back to the TV. It's, a, it's like an LG G3 in, in the, the respect that you know it's flat at the back as well as at the front, whereas Traditional OLED TVs are nice and thin until you get down to the bottom third where you have this section that sticks out because it's got the connections and the speakers and everything else that needs to be uh, built in. Whereas, uh, you know, because you've got the one connect box, the 95C looks really, really nice. It also comes with a very nice stand if you want to put it on the table, um, which the LG doesn't come with. It comes with this really expensive wall mount. And if you're not wall mounting, you've bought a TV with a very expensive mount, not a stand. So uh, Samsung, in my opinion, get that right. Um, so yeah, it's it's a gorgeous TV to look at. It's solidly built. Um, it is a premium price TV, but you know it's um, it, it it feels quality. And one thing that they do better than LG as well is the remote control feels expensive, even though it's still plastic. Um, and you get the plastic one with all the buttons on, which I always use because it's got a direct settings button. Um, but the little slim remote that it comes with, it just looks nice. It looks like it should fit on a product at, at that price point. And we're talking about £2,700 retail. I think you'll pick them up for about 2500 at the minute uh, for the 55-inch. Um, other things it does really well, uh, four full bandwidth, 48 gigabits per second, uh, HDMI 2.1 ports, so the same as LG in that respect. It will do 4K 144 hertz from a gaming PC. Um, if you're feeding it a console, it'll do 4K 120. It'll do 4K... Uh, 120, but it won't do Dolby Vision because Samsung don't do Dolby Vision, which still don't understand why they do that. Uh, FreeSync Premium Pro's on there as well, uh, ALLM, EARC, and it's got uh, HDIG support as well for gaming. So if you're a gamer, um, that's the things that you want to be ticking uh, the boxes for when it comes to that kind of thing. Tizen Smart TV, um, again, it's one of these that I just don't get on with. Um, I don't know why. I think it's just the layout of it just doesn't really fit with how I want a smart TV system to 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 work. Um, I mean, even just finding a source, if you've got the small remote control, um, it's two button presses to to change source. Then no, I just want to press one button and get, get HDMI one or whatever. So there are a few niggles with, with that kind of thing on there. Um, picture processing, again, uh, very good, but not quite as, as good 
as LG and Sony this this year. Um, there was just a few little niggles. There's a little bit of backdoor processing still being applied, a little bit of noise reduction still being applied there. One of the things I do like, though, uh, and it's one of the things that obviously we've fed back and uh, they've taken note this year is that um, when it comes to HDR tone mapping, you can switch off dynamic tone mapping, uh, which was one thing you could never defeat on the Samsung TVs. You can this year. You have two choices. You have active or static. If you go to static, it will track SD2084, which is the standard for HDR10. It will track it perfectly until the, the clipping point of the TV, uh, where it'll then hard clip. Um, ideal, that's, that's what you want. You don't want active uh, dynamic tone mapping if you want to watch content as it was mastered and intended for you to be seen. So Samsung are doing that right. So kudos to them. They have listened to the feedback uh, in that respect. Um, what else do I need to cover really? Um, out of the box accuracy, um, as you would expect, it's got filmmaker mode. Um, it was fairly accurate out of the box. You're looking at Delta E errors of 2.7 on average. Um, which is ideal for now. And this is a retail set. This is not a manufacturer provided set. So this is you know relevant to what you would see. Um, and then obviously measuring things like peak brightness and so on. Uh, it comes in, let me just bring my notes up so I get this right and I'm telling you exactly what it is. Uh, it comes in at uh, 1340 nits on the 55 uh -huh. inch. Uh, this is in filmmaker mode, so accurate mode. Um, the really impressive number is nearly 300 nit full screen on 100%. So that's the important one, people. Um, the the full screen brightness is the one that you want because then it's not adjusting the average picture level to try and fit everything in. If you've got bright specular highlights and so on, um, you're getting 1,340 nits measured um, in the most accurate mode. So yeah, um, that's impressive. Obviously, the other thing that's impressive is now it's tracking properly. Um, and 100% XY and 99% UV when it comes to PC um, DCI-P3, uh, which is the color space that everybody's working in at the minute within BT 2020. And even 2020 color space-wise, it's 75%, which is uh, very, very good. The important thing here is obviously color volume and color brightness. Um, it, it manages both incredibly well, um, which is the strength of using an RGB display um, like QD OLED, whereas obviously LG have to use the, the white pixel to boost brightness. Um, does that matter in the real world when you're actually watching content? Because your content only happens to use a percentage of, of that color volume. Um, so actually, when you get them side by side, WRGB and, and QD OLED, there's not a great deal of difference when it comes to color, color saturation. So people mistake saturation for color volume, and, and that's something that... Um, I've seen a few mistakes made when people have been comparing the TVs and, and, and going into that. So there's not a great deal of difference, but where it matters, the, you know, having that color volume on hand and that color brightness on hand um, does make a difference. In terms of uniformity last year, perfect. This year, not so much. Um, there was a little bit 5% uh, black jewels, um, a little bit of vertical banding seen. Very faint, but it is there. And this is a retail set as well. Um, one thing we can't test, and I know Artings are doing it at the moment, and you know, hats off to Artings, they've got the budget to do this. They go out and buy all the TVs, and now they're doing a, a long-term testing. They're basically ramping through and adding hours on. Um, it's not something that an average consumer would do. Um, they're basically stress-testing TVs at the minute. And the one thing that is coming back is that QD OLED is uh, 
susceptible to, to image retention and some burning, which is not happening with the LG um, WRGB panels. Now, is there reasons for that? Well, probably because LG have had um, 10 years now to develop their technology. Um, it is 10 years since you know OLED first came about. Um, QD OLED is a new technology. These are stress tests, so they really are pushing the panels. Um, but yeah, QD, because it is a new technology, there's not a lot of long-term uh, feedback or, or numbers out there. So just bear that in mind, but don't use it as a buying decision. It would be my advice. It's interesting to see, um, but if you're going to use a TV with different content and not have static images on for any length of time, i.e. don't sit and watch CNN for 24 hours a day, you should be fine. I mean, to be fair, that's decent life advice. doesn't matter if you own QDO or not. Just, just don't do that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting that Arting's results, uh, because they can afford to do that kind of thing and, and go out and buy all these TVs and so on, it's interesting to see, and it is stress testing. But the LG's OLEDs are not uh, coming back with anything seen on them, whereas QD is. So is there something in that? We don't know. Um, you've got to think that if it's RGB and it's pushing... Uh, the kind of brightness that it is, maybe down the line, mm. in av- average use. Well, you know, yeah, well, average, you know, I'm just yeah. intrigued to notice that um, Flanders Scientific, who produce grading monitors, have a $20,000, £20,000 unit out, which is a QDOLE panel. Yeah. So they're using this, probably the same panel. Um, now, what you'll get with that is a very deep heat sink. You'll get all sorts of other things built into it. Um, it's hitting 2,000 nits calibrated, that panel, mm. um, which is interesting. Um, so um, do they know something we don't know? Maybe maybe if you look at the – the, the, does it have I, – I, I haven't seen this the, the this latest one, Phil, you have. What is the heat sink compared to like a G3 or an MZ2000? Um, what things are in there to – you know? Yeah. what about um, the um, – um, the, you know the panel. The sorry, the 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 uh, the the panel uh, refresh when it. You know, sorry, I forgot what forgotten the term. <laughs> you, know, you know, what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, the cycle. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, It'll when, come when to me in a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm making an old I, age moment. I know, I know. Um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of things. There's also how the technology is implemented by each manufacturer. They each do it mm-hmm. differently. I mean, Panasonic uses the heatsink completely differently to how LG uses the heatsink to mm. how Sony uses the heatsink. So, um, you know, we can only go on what our things are doing. And I wouldn't, you know, it's interesting, but I wouldn't hang your purchasing decision on any of their, their results. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, stress testing to to the nth degree. You know, they're running these TVs constantly. And, you know, you're never going to do that. If you take in the average life of how long you watch a TV, I, I doubt you. And you do it sensibly and you keep changing the content on a regular basis and you're not continually doing the same thing. I don't think you'll have issues with QD OLED or WRGB OLED. And again, it depends how the manufacturer chooses to drive these panels as well. It also depends if, if it's a second-hand screen and somebody going in and change the service menu to affect it as well so there's mm-hmm. lots of different things so and i yeah. seem to remember phil from that from that from those stress tests as well and, and compensation cycles uh, yeah. I, I finally remembered um but that that even with the panels that sony were using for uh, from lg displays that there was evidence some evidence there that the sony mm-hmm. panels were a little bit more susceptible and they put yeah. that down to or has it suggested it might be down to the the fewer compensation cycles that that, that yeah. the Sony panels yeah. are using. So again, it's, it's down to what manufacturers yeah. are doing. So I wouldn't read too much into it. Is what I'm saying. It's interesting to note, 
and be aware that if you're going to abuse the TV by watching CNN 24 hours a day, you're going to get burning. Um, you're going to get burning on any OLED doing stuff like that. So, so yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting, though, but don't hang your, your purchasing decision on it. Um, sound quality-wise, um, it, it's above average, uh, but I was disappointed with the lack of bottom end on it, um, especially with six passive radiators on the back of the TV. You thought it would have a little bit more bottom end, but it was a little bit lacking on that. Um, and then comparison testing, well, the main one is against the LG G3. You know, what is the, what is it between these two TVs? It's a draw. I, you know, they've got so many pros and cons that um, it's going to come down to your use case. If you're looking at picture quality, they more or less do the same thing, the same peak brightness. Um, there's a little bit more brightness at 100% on, on the Samsung, but... You know, will you not actually notice that if you're not in a comparison uh, situation? Um, you've got a little bit more color volume uh, on the Samsung. The LG's yep. picture processing is better. Yeah. Uh, I think LG support gaming a little bit better um, than the Samsung does. But again, it's yeah, you're picking hairs at this point. It's like there's not think, a great deal between them, to be honest. I think the lack of inclusion of Dolby Vision for lots of people now, will be a little bit of a turnoff. For me, I don't see that as an issue, to be honest with you. But yeah, it's a tick box exercise. Yeah, tick box. And, and people are going to want Dolby Vision on their TVs. And I, I still don't understand why Samsung just don't bite the bullet and, and have it on there. I mean, Panasonic give you everything. Philips give you everything. Yeah. Um, there is a little bit of politics, um, you know, and obviously Samsung did their own thing with HDR10 Plus and 10 Plus Adaptive. Maybe they don't want to, it, it's, maybe it's seen as, Admitting defeat by putting Dolby Vision on the TVs, I don't know. It's probably political in some way. But anyway, I need to wrap up on this because the review will be going up. Uh, and I don't want to tell you absolutely everything because I want you to go and read the review. Um, but yeah, it's a very, very strong TV. I think uh, if you're in the market for uh, the flagship TV this year, um, you're going to have a hard time deciding which one to go for. Uh, they've each got the pros and cons. Um, so for me, it's a 9 out of 10 Best Buy um because the processing uh, and motion just slightly uh weren't wasn't quite as good um as lg i think lg have really nailed it the last last couple of years um panel uniformity is good but again i'm starting to see that it's not perfect which uh, last year uh, it certainly was a lot better on the samples that i did see um, so, yeah, it's got a lot of strengths going for it, this TV. Um, you're going to have a hard time picking between them. And we've yet to see the Sony. Uh, Sony's going to be a lot more expensive. Um, but we've yet to see the Sony. We will be getting that through. And we're getting that through for long-term testing as well. So I'll be able to long-term test uh, this QD OLED, the 95C, the G3 uh, LG, and then the Sony as soon as it comes in. So, yeah, stay tuned because we're going to put the testing through. The other thing, and I, I alluded to it, uh, it's doing something with HLG that I don't know what it's doing, but it's clipping everything at the minute. I need to do a little bit of further investigation on that. It doesn't seem to be um, producing HLG properly. And I've noticed it on the QN95C, which I have in at the moment as well. Um, and I've had them both together. Um, and surprisingly, the uh, the S95C would still be the TV I would choose, um, even if you were in a bright room. So more to come on that one in the review. So the review's coming up for that soon. Uh, but like I say, I'm going to score it at 9 out of 10. It gets a Best Buy badge. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's a tough choice for you people that got money this year to go and buy what a year. flagship TV. What a yeah, year, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. Right. So we're uh, we're going to change speed now. We're going to um, put the, uh, the smoking jacket on, get the slippers out, because it's hi-fi time and it's coming next. 
If you enjoy the podcast on YouTube, then please like and subscribe. If you're listening to the audio version, then please leave us a rating on your podcast app. We invite you to email questions and feedback to podcast at avforums.com and join in with this episode's discussion thread in the podcasts forum at avforums. Right. Okay. Yes. Phil gets a gets a break now, and um, I will take on the hi-fi section, which is re- it's reasonably brief. I'm going to talk about a review that hasn't actually it hasn't gone up yet in a bit, but we have some news to start with, and I'm heartened that one of the news stories uh, makes the product that I'm going to talk about look like um, an absolute uh, cash converter special because um, Wilson Audio have uh, launched some new speakers, and uh, Ian's got uh, some of the, some of the uh, the juicy details on those. Uh, yeah, yeah, we did get a bit of stick occasionally talking about some super high-end gear, <laughs> as we did where we ran a piece on Wilson Audio's uh, Alexia V speakers uh, last year, which came in at a snip of £80,000 a pair. Um, we did a piece before that on its Quanasonic XVX speakers, which are even more ludicrously expensive at £300,000 a pop. Um, so technically, this new and improved Sasha V speakers that they've it's recently announced, they're technically a budget option at a mere £53,998. The short version of the story is uh, they're an upgrade on the previous Sasha Door or DAW speakers, combining many of the new technologies that have been found on the more expensive siblings I just mentioned, put into a slightly more compact frame, but they're still, you know, fairly tall, sort of a 120 centimetre, I think, floor standards. Mm. Um, Once again, coming with separate upper and lower enclosures, got Wilson's blaze drivers and all their various SVNX material upgrades. Um, a lot more details up on a, a story on the website if you want to get the, the key specs. So, you know, are we all lining up to buy a couple? I guess so. Well, I mean, you know, I, I will have a look down the back of the sofa. I think I'm going to be a bit short. I will say um, I've never been sold on how Wilson speakers look. Uh, I mean, you really should. It's the same as with certain cars. You need to buy them in the brightest color that you can stand. And they're available in pretty much any paint shade you can think of. I will say in sonic terms, they are very, very, very impressive speakers. And if you're looking at this and thinking, oh, well, this is just hi-fi nonsense, there is a full set of AV options for Wilson as well. Um, and, you know, obviously one needs fairly deep pockets to do it. But the I, I have heard a Wilson multi-channel system and it was pretty damn impressive. So, I mean, yes, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very uh, exotic end of the market. But, you know, if you actually spend any time around them, don't even before you listen to them, just the way that they're assembled, the attention to detail, the quality of finish, you can see where thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds have gone. But yes, obviously it is it is a bit of a niche interest. So on that note, we have got something a, a little bit more affordable from another American speaker brand, which is Klipsch. Yeah, yeah, this was announced about the same time, I presume, as you were typing up your review uh, for the Nines mm. uh, speakers from Klipsch. Uh, but they've added a couple of uh, rather more affordable speaker options to its reference series uh, with the R40PM and the R50PM, uh, replacing the previous 41 and 51 models. Uh, the R50PM is the slightly bigger and more powerful speaker of the two. Uh, also comes uh, in £100 more expensive, but these are priced at £599 per pair for the R50s uh, and £499 for the R40PM. So it makes them rather more affordable than the mm. 7s or the 9s that we've seen before. Um, but I guess then, you know, can you compare them to those more expensive speakers or are they something a little bit different? Well, no, they, but they, obviously the smallest member of the, the the family or however they want to be pronounced, the fives, 
Um, they are the same size as the 41s, and they are several hundred pounds more expensive. I tested the original R41 uh, that's been now replaced by the R40, and it's an it was an enormous amount of product for the money. Um, it's it's a you know a very very competitive way of making uh, getting a system up and running for not that much money, and it's very clever how um Klipsch has gone about doing this because um it, it just leverages things that they they're good at already i mean it takes a pair of loudspeakers that they've been building in passive form they make some detailed modifications and um it, it you know it delivers a lot of sound for your pound we will be having a look at one set i'm happy to take a steer on whether you think i should be looking at the 40s or the 50s um but i've every confidence that this is going to be a lot of product for the money and um you know so if if you have no equipment and you would like to start uh, you know, constructing a system which produces a decent sound, the priceless advantage that the Klipsch and some other systems that we've looked at is that they have stereo width. They create a stereo image on account of being a stereo product rather than being a single box trying desperately to give you that sonic spread. So, um, you know, it, it's it's always worth looking at. We will get them in and we'll see how they are. I mean, obviously, they're not as hilariously large as the Nines. I mean, they're, they're, the Nines had a certain presence that these don't. Um, and then our final news story is a bit of an odd one because um, this is an, an interesting product from Denon, but at the moment, as I understand, you can't buy it here. Uh, no, these are the Denon Pearl and Pearl Pro headphones, which are currently only available in the US. But uh, we are reliably, we even have prices for the UK. So it will be coming this way later in the year, but we just don't yes. have dates on UK and European markets yet. Um, basically, yeah, two new earbud solutions made in collaboration with Denon's new parent company, Massimo, which are using its uh, Massimo's adaptive acoustic technology, which is quite a clever piece of tech, which lets you fine tune the performance to match your own personal unique listening capabilities. It just gives a quick audio test and then fine tunes the performance accordingly. Uh, hence the Pearl name, which is a portmanteau of personal listening. So it just gives mm. you that little extra kind of personalized edge. Both come with active noise cancellation. Uh, Pearl Pro also gets the likes of Aptex Lossless and Direct Virtuo support. Uh, as mentioned, currently only available in the US, uh, priced at $199 for the Pearl, uh, $349 for the Pro, with a wider rollout later this year. And those UK prices quoted at £189 Pearl and £249 for the Pearl Pro. I mean, as someone, I, I wasn't particularly aware that Denon did a great deal of uh, headphone solutions. No, I don't know no. whether how these are likely to compare to some of the others on the market. Well, they've done a lot of passive headphones over the years, and many of them have been extremely good. And yeah, there's an element of, oh, it's Denon, so it can't be, you know, and then being confused why it's, you know, relatively expensive. But um, no, all signs technologically point to these being, being interesting bits of kit. I will say they've missed a trick. Um, since that JBL um, Tor Pro 2, which the review is on the front page of the website at the moment. Um, I always view that in ears of this nature, they are first and foremost convenience items. Uh, everything that comes through now that doesn't have a display on the case, which you can use for setup and just seeing how the thing is doing and what it's doing, everything else feels like a gigantic step backwards now. Um, so, you know, if people are listening to this, I don't know. Manufacturers do need to pay attention to what JBL's done there. It's a bit of a BCAD moment for me in terms of how these products are used and how they work. It's just that it's just makes them so much more pleasurable to do. But nevertheless, as and when we will hopefully approach the Denons with an open mind and we'll see how they crack on. Now, I've briefly talked about the sorry, I've got an itchy ear. Uh, briefly talked about um, 
the uh, JBL review, the Clips of the Nines. There's been a, a couple of things go through. I actually wanted to talk very briefly about a review which I've written. I have not yet uploaded to the site because um, it may be a bit of a cat again amongst the pigeon uh, pigeons uh, undertaking here because most of the things that I have looked at in 2023 very deliberately have been, if not cheap, uh, not a lot of hi-fi is cheap in 2023. We have attempted to um, reflect sort of cost of living and things like that. We've tried to look at some cost-effective items. So I have somewhat gone against that with this uh, because we will be doing a review of the DCS Lena, which is now, it is in value terms, it's the most affordable DCS DAC you can buy. But most affordable in DCS terms is £12,500. Now, I did the math, so you don't have to. Um, that's uh, 16 Eversolo DMPA6s, a device to which I, uh, you know, earlier in the year I awarded a perfect score. It's an objectively sensational product. And part of looking at the DCS has been examining, you know, why? Where does this extra money go? Um, now, the full review... I'm going to, you know, April here, I'm not going to talk about every aspect of the DCS. I mean, there's certain things that, you know, you, you may note right from the beginning. It doesn't have some of the features that the Eversolo does get get you for 750 quid. There's no hard drive bay. It actually doesn't support as high a set of sampling rates as the as the Eversolo does. Uh, you can't run Amazon Music on it. You can't run Apple Music on it. There's all manner of things it can't do that the vastly more affordable product can. Um what i think is very important about looking at some of these products from time to time is not um to focus solely on why these products cost as much as they do it's actually reflects just how astonishingly good affordable hi-fi is and because modern affordable hi-fi is astonishingly good if you want to build something that is meaningfully better you are essentially putting your head down and charging at the law of diminishing returns and please be under no illusions i mean spoiler the dcs is meaningfully better sonically than the Eversolo is but obviously it's a, it's a truly enormous amount of money more and i think before you rush into the um comments thread and tell me that i'm elitist i mean i may well be i probably am but um it's worth pointing out that we, we, we look at certain aspects of product. We look at certain things across AV, across display, across hi-fi, where we, we, we take in the expensive product because, you know, it's a pointing out that, yeah, it's better than the thing that we looked at that's, you know, somewhere between 1,000, 2,000, or in the case of the Eversolo, less than that. But that is how much more you're paying to make a meaningful improvement. And you then have to decide if you are in a position to spend this sort of money, whether you want to or whether you want to go and buy something completely different. And I think it's a different state of affairs to the televisions. I mean, as I, I mean, Phil will correct me if I've got this horribly wrong. I mean, the G3, as it stands, is is pretty substantially better than the non-MLA panel equipped LG OLEDs. But the price premium that between the the G and the C, it's isn't it? It's not that substantial, Phil. It's about a grand, Six, isn't it? 600 quid. Yeah. 600 quid. Yeah. So, you know, your their law of diminishing returns, they've managed to do, by using the economies of scale, they've pushed on and given you a meaningful improvement for 600 pounds. Hi-Fi struggles to deliver issues like that, uh, uh, sort of quick wins like that anymore. So what you will be looking at here, and when this review goes live, is how you make a product which is better 
sounding than the extraordinarily talented affordable streamers that we've been looking at from Eversolo, IFI, people like that, and then just how much more it costs to do it. So, you know, the review will go up in July and I will do my best to field comments, provided that they're not completely abusive, and you see where we go from there. So, yeah, it's... Um, I just thought it was worth talking about because it's something it's something that doesn't necessarily um it's not as easy to get across in a, in a lucid form in a text post so we may or may not end up clipping this part of the youtube um uh, podcast recording and and sticking it at the base of the review or something like that so i just thought it was worth worth talking about um there are some other interesting products as well um we've got uh 50th anniversary product from riga uh i've got uh, a 10th anniversary product from blue sound uh, I've got a product which is uh, a faithful-ish reproduction of a speaker that launched in 1983, except that it's different in every single way. Um, and then an integrated amplifier from a company we have never tested anything other than the turntable from. So yeah, there's some decent stuff coming, um, but the DCS uh, is the one that I just thought I'd flag quickly to start with. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that review, Ed. Um, um, so yeah. Um, but actually, I'm, I'm more interested in reading the comments. If I'm yeah. honest, but... <laughs> yes, you get the popcorn out. You just sit back and watch it. That's I mean, to it. be fair, we have reviewed another DCS product in the past, and actually that was surprisingly unconfrontational. So okay. uh, who knows what this is going to go. And so, yes. Right, give us some uh, recommendations on vinyl playlist and album, please. Yes, no problem at all. Right, um, I've done some weird albums over 2023. So this album of the week is utterly mainstream as i understand it it's been getting major airplay across most commercial radio stations and you can listen to it anywhere and if those of you who listen to more radio than me might be heartily sick of it already but it came out last friday uh it's tom grennan's what ifs and maybes and do you know what it's just a damn good listen um it is utterly commercial but it's written with a decent ear catchy songs it's reasonably well recorded it's on all of the major streaming services and i have been listening to it a lot because it is in this weather it's a genuinely enjoyable album to listen to not everything i recommend has to be peruvian nose flute music and i think this is a demonstration of that i've really really enjoyed it it's a it's a really entertaining album to listen to um, so that is, as I say, you can buy it on vinyl if the fancy takes you. Please feel free to if you want to. But, you know, it's on the major, it's on the streaming services. It's not in high res, but it doesn't need to be. It's been nicely done. So, you know, that's all good. Um, vinyl is a bit more elitist this this time round, partly because actually it's not been a, a marquee week for, for new, new material. Uh, one of my favourite bands, and they crop up in reviews from time to time, uh, was an American uh, sort of funk rock band called Little Feet, who were active in the 1970s. And they had an album run of about four albums in the mid-1970s, which and I th if you just need to sit down and listen to them with an open mind. Um, and it started with an album called Dixie Chicken. Now, on Friday, a fully rehashed deluxe version of Dixie Chicken was released. The, it's in, on digital on the streaming services in very, very high quality. But if you are feeling that you want to do this properly, the uh, vinyl box set, uh, it's a mere three album, three LPs worth of stuff with some extra items, some demos, alternate versions and, and, and lives. Um, there's no getting around this. It's, um, it's over 60 quid. 
so I'm tempted because I don't actually own it on vinyl and it is, it's a fabulous, fabulous listen. Um, it's not my favorite little feet album. I'm fervently hoping that, um, feats don't fail me now, which is my favorite little feet album gets this treatment at some point. But, um, you know, uh, this is from the, the golden age of mastering, especially analog mastering. And, um, that's, you know, something that's, something that's to be celebrated if you do sit down and listen to this on a decent turntable i have every confidence it's going to sound really quite special so that's available from various retailers it's not cheap it's dad rock but it's good so you know give it a listen on streaming services see what you think um and finishing up playlist uh spotify uh, my girlfriend and I were listening to this yesterday. Uh, it's called Happy Hour. And like all great pod, uh, playlists that are called Happy Hour, it's six hours long. <laughs> but um, it's um, a selection of lots and lots of Motown, other sort of 60s and 70s deep cuts. Some things as recent as the 80s and early 90s make it on there. But yesterday, in the sun, it worked exceptionally well. And I know that the edge has gone off the weather this week, but um, I'm sure it will get hot again. And I just, I, I thought it was, it's one of those instances, it's a Spotify compiled playlist. It's not been done by a, 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 a user, as best as I can tell. It's not just the songs that are on it. I wouldn't shuffle this one. I'd listen to it in order. Someone's put a lot of thought into which song feeds into the next song. And it's, you know, playlists are a bit of an art form. And this is a really, really, really good one. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I'm sure if you ask for the link, I can I can drop it in anywhere that you need. Or you can simply search for Happy Hour on Spotify and away you go. Um, the only final piece of uh, of tedium uh, is the in the last podcast where I said uh, my vinyl release of the month was a band called Sweat and not to listen to any of their previous material because it's dreadful. Uh, that was defamatory and entirely wrong. This is the first album from this particular set of art, uh, musicians called Sweat. There is another band called Sweat who has released stuff in the period, and it is <laughs> their music, which is dreadful. So these people have released one album and it's excellent. And I strongly <laughs> urge you to listen to it. And they're not responsible for the abominations also by a band called Sweat. So um, I wanted um, to set the record straight on that. I'm glad you set the, the record straight. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's where we are for uh, items items uh, uh, of interest in hi-fi. Excellent. Good stuff. Right. Uh, just to wrap up tonight, so we had a few uh, questions come in. Uh, Paul Munger was asking a few questions, uh, specifically about uh, Samsung TV and eight, uh, 98 inch TV. I haven't looked at that TV. I can't give you any advice, uh, but stay tuned because I am speaking to a number of manufacturers about getting to see the larger models. Uh, once I've reviewed the, the smaller screen sizes, I'm happy then to go to them to see the stuff that they can't send out. So that 98-inch may be uh, getting a review or at least me getting hands-on with it at some point, but I haven't seen it so far. I can't comment on it at the minute, and I would hate to give you any uh, bad advice there, uh, especially when you're spending that type of money. Uh, Jacob Board. um basically says that he's bought a 77-inch G3 today. Uh, congratulations, you're in for a treat. Uh, the G3 is uh, a fantastic TV. I'm sure you're you're really going to enjoy that one. Um, High Def News uh, did make uh, or raise the comment that um, image retention is also happening on some of the Sony sets, which Jules did mention uh, as we were discussing that. 
and it could be manufacturing, just not just technology and just, and I uh, totally agree with that. Um, and hopefully we try to get that across um, and certainly don't be hanging any purchasing decisions on um, tests like artings. It's interesting, but um, it's only like one part of the whole story. It's extremely, um, you know, it's, it's the equivalent of uh, deciding not to purchase a car because actually on two hot laps, the Nürburgring, it started to suffer from brake fade. Yeah, it's, exactly. Exactly. Know, yeah. yeah. It's, you know, if you're, if you're using a TV properly, it's nothing to worry about um, at all. And uh, M said, uh, thanks for the shout out, Julian, but it was a 77 inch. Um, he's gone to football training, but we'll, we'll let him know. We'll he, let him know he got it wrong. Uh, that he, got, he got that wrong. Um, right. So the next uh, podcast is the Movies Podcast. It's coming up on Monday, the 3rd of July. Uh, the guys kick off live at half past eight on a Monday night uh, for the Movies Podcast. So if you want to join them live, it's half past eight on the 3rd of July. Join the guys for that. We're back with the uh, the main AV Forums podcast uh, in two weeks' time on the 10th of July, and we start at the normal time of 7 p.m. Uh, also, thanks tonight. Jules is going football training, but also thanks to Ed and Ian. Thank you very much, guys. No worries. And, of course, uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, then, of course, you can uh, leave it a like. Um, please subscribe to the channel, please, because we've got more and more videos coming, and we'd hate you to, to miss out, especially on the reviews such as the uh, the 95C and everything else that we've got lined up. And I've been spending ages doing these uh, comparison stuff, so it would be interesting for you um, to see the results of that, hopefully. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, we're also on Instagram. You can bookmark avforums.com. Uh, loads of reviews, news and videos there. And of course, the forums, uh, which is your source of excellent information as well. If you've got a question on anything, uh, I, you'll get it answered on AV Forums. If none of the team here answer it, uh, our fabulous members will be able to do that as well. Um, and of course, if you're listening to us on a podcast uh, provider, if uh, you had any issues with podcast providers again leave us the feedback let us know um we want to make sure that the podcast is getting out to everybody uh, but if they leave a rating system and you do enjoy the podcast then please consider uh, leaving us a five-star rating on that service i'm phil hinton thank you very much for watching and listening and we'll see you again very soon good night <laughs>